Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Hello, and welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman, and I'm here with Abigail Zoe Martin. And I'll just say a couple things about Abigail. This is the first time we're meeting in person over Zoom. She is uh, lives in Chicago, and I know her to be a woman who created a beautiful exhibition in Chicago called Energy Unlimited. And I'll say in a moment how that came into my life, but Abigail is is a portrait photographer, a creator, a healer, and a coach. I think that many of your gifts, Abigail, are going to come out that I don't know anything about. But I'll say that your portraits, I got this from your website, have appeared in the English publications of and at the National Gallery uh, in London, I believe. And when I found out about your work here in Chicago, I just became sort of a voyeur. I was introduced to it through Therese Rowley, who was on episode, I think it was 31. She was here talking about the divine intelligence of the children. And I pulled one of my coaching of friends along, Nani Langenstein, and she was a former guest talking on episode six about consciously parenting your adult children. So it was a very fun evening when I came down in the late summertime to see this beautiful exhibit you had put together. And I'll let you describe it and delve into it. But I saw it as an honoring. I know it was a celebration, an honoring of many, many different individuals, healers, intuitives, a lot of it was a wide range of people sort of being honored, plus performance art and just a really I'll go back to celebratory feel to it. And I didn't meet you that night. But I got to be a voyeur to everything that was going on and was introduced to your world. So I'm so grateful that you said yes to being here. So welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. Oh, thank you. That was a beautiful introduction. You're so so welcome. Yeah. Maybe, Abigail, if we could start like going back, if it felt right to you, just to tell listeners maybe where you're from and anything about your childhood that you think might be pertinent. If it fits. If not, we'll go to the adult life. (laughs) I'm from London. I moved here with my husband, who's uh, Mexican by birth, but grew up in England, and my two children and one dog, but now we've got two, eight years ago. We weren't expecting to live in the States at all. We were actually living for a bit in Spain. And this opportunity came and I just thought it was it was the right one for him. And it sort of felt right for us as a family. I don't know why. I just thought the energy would be right. But it really wasn't a plan to live in the States. But here we are. When we first, I've done photography for years and been in that type of world since I left university in my 20s. My childhood was complicated. I don't need to go into too many details about that. But there was two, two figures in my life. My granny was a nurse. 
shouldn't become one. And I lived with her for years when I moved out of home at 16 and moved in with her. And she was my angel and sort of mother and father to me. And she was this brilliant nurse and she was really funny. And she could see through, she could sort of see into the future. She just had these brilliant eyes and she just knew stuff. And my friends loved her and she was so funny. And she sort of saved me. And I think she instilled this feeling of needing to care for others. I just witnessed it in her over and over again, but she did it in such a light, humorous, beautiful, brilliant way. And then my father, he's dead now. He had brain cancer, but he was incredibly artistic and very aesthetically pleasing to look at. He was a real character, you know, velvet jackets and sold antiques and people adored his sort of eccentricity he was just so I think both of those people they had a huge influence on me they died within months of each other they're both on the other side and I feel their presence and I see them Mm -hmm. which is a gift that I got by uh, nearly dying back in 2017 and that was a big big important thing that happened to me I was in a huge car accident my father was dying of cancer and I was building a show called Chicago Lights my first show in Chicago Mm -hmm that I was creating about bright lights in the city, people who were offering something to the city and had something valuable to give to the world. And I was working on that show. And I mainly started that show because when we got to Chicago back in 2015, we knew no one. And my husband was, he wasn't, he loved the job, but he wasn't so happy to be here. It was a, a time of a lot of complications in the States especially around Mexicans and his, even though, you know, he he's had a good life and lived all over the world. He's still his, in his soul, he's a Mexican. And there was a lot of anti-Mexican talks. So we sort of landed in the middle of that. And I kept finding really lovely Chicagoans who were really kind. And I kept saying to him, listen, people are nice here. You know, I'm going to find them for us. So I thought I'm going to create a show where I find the best people in Chicago who are going to change our life. And I just started the day after I got here. I thought I'm going to find them. And within three years, we did Chicago Lights. I had a brilliant publicist at the time who set it up, who I found by chance. And each person led to the next one. And one person would recommend the next person, the next person. I ended up photographing the former mayor of Chicago, not the recent one we just had, but the one before. And he was very dynamic, quite complicated, but dynamic character. I love the city. I photographed amazing chefs and sports people and personalities. And I turned up here knowing no one. I just had my skill set and the way I speak and one dog and I went and I've got two and I went off into the world and I thought I'm going to meet good people and I did it and when the show was shown in December in November of 2018 a thousand people showed up amazing and I was on the news I was it was incredible and then three weeks later my father died hugely profound moment for me and then my grandmother died two months after that mm-hmm. so those were two very very important people to me but just bef- in that when I was making the show in 2017 I was off to photograph a gospel singer for the show in in the south side and I got hit by a car and this was the beginning of complete change because as I was hit I started to go over the car started to spin out of control and I remember in my head my heart just went really calm and I thought I felt no fear whatsoever which is surprising I went zen and in my head I just sort of looked up to the heavenly realm not having religion but being very spiritual and I said no this isn't my life I didn't I will not accept this at all 
you're not taking me anywhere. And I was ferocious about it. I mean, really ferocious. And in that second, something enveloped me and it felt like sort of cotton wool and it just held me and it told me I was protected and I was okay. And I rested in this space of pure peace while the car went over at the end. I was hanging upside down. I got myself out of the car. There were 40 people standing in the street just in amazement. They whisked me off to hospital where they... This is a bit of a funny but ridiculous story. So I'm lying in a hospital in the far south side and I have a nice little outfit on from London and they're leaning over me, but my glasses had come off, but I did, I was in shock. So I kept thinking that my contact lenses weren't working correctly because I forgot that my glasses weren't on. But yeah. a lovely man, the man I was going to photograph, somehow I texted him from the, from the, from the accident. I don't know how I did that. Really, I have no idea. And he came and he, and I had all my camera equipment in the car. None of it was broken. And I'd gone Amazing. over it 60 miles an hour twice. The car was obliterated, but my camera equipment and my glasses, everything was perfect. So I'm lying in the hospital because they needed to check me because, you know, I could have had internal injuries that wouldn't be seen. Sure. And I'm lying there. Well, that's what they told me. And they leant over me and they said, right, we're going to cut your clothes off. And there was a group of them. There were so many. Luckily, I couldn't quite see them because I didn't have my lenses in and my glasses weren't on. So thank God I couldn't quite see their faces. They're leaning there, five of them. I think there were three guys and two women. And I said, no, you're not. And they said, we, we need to cut your clothes off. I said, no, don't you dare cut my clothes off. I said, I've just bought these clothes in London. These are my clothes and I can get them off myself. I said, just make a note now, all of you. I'm not, I'm not happy with any of you. Wow. And yes. I will take my own clothes off. And they were <laughs> really scared. And I said, then make this fast. Make this fast. And I thought, oh, and they said, well, we've got, we have to, we've got to check your words. I said, I don't care. Just do it. And, they were, and I sounded like some sort of really frightening headmistress from Britain mixed with Downton Abbey and, you know, Emma Thompson. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I thought, no one's going to cut my clothes off. And then I get people, I'm in the far south side. How are they going to get my more clothes to me anyway? Right. Ridiculous. Yes. yes. So I took my own stuff off while staring at them <laughs> and giving them the evil eye. And so they got everything done really fast. And then there was no breaks. There was nothing. I just had herniated discs in my neck later on and chronic pain. But, you know, yeah. like the police came and said 90% of all accidents like that, everyone was dead. You know, it was a miracle I was alive, blah, blah, blah. The yeah. nurse came in later and she poked her head around the door when I'd realised my glasses were in my bag and I put them on and finally I could see. And she said, oh, my God. She said, I've never seen that before, what you did to the doctors. Yeah said no one spoken to them like that ever she said that was amazing <laughs> you were amazing yeah. and she went off and I thought mm, yes I am Did, um, yes Did, was that typically something you would do that sort of persona that came across or did it feel kind of I, no, not I yourself it's, no it's me but mm -hmm. I didn't you know I've never been faced with a near-death situation oh, and wow. had an intervention and nearly in and walked out of a car that was obliterated. That was a whole Absolutely. new thing. Wow. I didn't realize how firm I would be. Yes. So with that, I didn't quite know how firm I was until I met that person. Yes. Because I had been in a situation as an adult where I it had warranted being that firm. But it, it felt appropriate. And they wow. annoyed me. It so, is, you know, yeah. Got it yeah. done. And they didn't cut my clothes off because I like those clothes. Yeah. Like, really, and don't do it the clothing made it through the accident right <laughs> it did, because I, and then I got myself in a taxi and went home 
which was wild because is. Yeah. the world was sort of upside down. And it was after that, I kept saying to myself, I'll be fine. There's not a problem. I'm normal. And then within a week of that, it was almost like the veil between worlds had been torn and I could just reach my arm through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that they could reach back. And so that was 2017. And I started to learn to be a healer because my father was sick and I thought I could help him, but that wasn't going to happen. He said, absolutely not. And then I learned it, but I didn't really use it until in 2019, around October, something said to me, start using this skill. So I thought, okay, I'll start to use it. And I started to think, I can do this. And then in 2020, when everybody was locked in and you know scared, I had no fear. I've always already faced death. It wasn't for me fear. It's just even in the car accident, I had no fear. I don't know. I just I faced enough. I faced the demons all my life. So it's just sort of what it's not my thing. But so many people were in fear. So I started to offer my service to sort of bring them out of fear. But what I found with with each one of them saying, "Oh, I'm feeling so much fear," what I actually found was old wounds and old pain that they hadn't dealt with. But what had happened was this situation on planet Earth at that time, or the way it was dealt with, gave them an opportunity to heal fear that wasn't anything to do with what they were being, what they were telling me they were fearful about. So that was an intriguing moment of this sort Mm -hmm. of mismatch between, you know, working on someone saying, oh, I can't go out, I can't do this. And then I work on them and thought, no, this has nothing to do with this. This is to do with your mom. Mm -hmm. This is the past pain that you've ignored. And that was the beginning of this sort of awakening for me with doing healing work. But at the same time in 2020, which is how Energy, the show came about that you saw, I had been given a small grant by the city to do Chicago Lights, the first one, to do the next instalment of it. Ah. And then it was, and I was working with some women, they all started flinging themselves into different directions. And the project we were doing just fell apart because some left the city, some left the country, some were in fear, whatever, it just didn't happen. And so I contacted, and I thought, oh, that's done then. So I contacted the city, Chicago Cultural Department, and I said, I want you to take your money back. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want it. Take it back. I can't use it. I've got no project on. It's very kind of you to, you know, single me out, given the project money. That was really nice and generous, but give it to somebody else who's more deserving, blah, blah. And they said, no, we're not taking it back. <laughs> I said, well, I, I said, take the money back. And they'd write back each week saying, no, can't take it back. It's really complicated to try and take the money back. You have to do something. And I'd write back and say, I'm not doing anything. And at the same time, the the windows were being smashed on the high street. People were running around with guns. And I just thought, you know, we don't have guns back home. I thought, this is insane. I want to run home. I said to my husband, I'm done. I'm running home. And he sort of, and he kept saying, you sure you can't do something for Chicago? I said, say to him, shut up. Like that. And he'd go, It was just this wild moment. So for two months, I would write them an email, say no, and they'd write back and say, please do it. And I'd say, no, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I don't. (laughs) And it went on like that. And then I was healing people and seeing this huge shift. And I felt embarrassed that I'd let them down. I had that sense of responsibility. And I wrote to them one day and I said, well, at least I'm healing people in Chicago. You know, at least I'm not a complete failure. And I'm Uh. not, you know. And in that second... They said to me, can't you just do something about that? We need good stories. And I had this light bulb moment. I thought, I know amazing healers, especially because I was on this path to try and heal myself from chronic pain. 
And it, the, the pain wasn't healing, but the emotional pain of my history was healing with each encounter, be it with a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, Chinese medicine, or you know, art therapists, whatever, all these different brilliant people who were turning up in my life who were helping me just navigate the world in a different way and also doing the healing myself and the stories that I was finding out. And I said, actually, you know what? I can do a show about healing and about these, I can interview these amazing people. But then, and they said, yes, just do it, anything, please. And I thought, okay, that works. And then it just started to evolve because it didn't, you know, a show just about healers, this wasn't going to work. So it was to stretch it out. It was who's going into the world each day with kindness in their heart and yeah. offering something that brings sort of balanced life, light, love and harmony into this world. Who are the people with ideas? So I ended up and and also people who do art, but who have this conscious feeling of, how does my art lift a space? How does my performance help people explore things in themselves? Or, you know, it was all these different characters. And again, one person would recommend somebody else, somebody else. There were people that I knew who I was really admired that I put in. And then it it just sort of it was like a sort of tapestry and it weaved itself. And the main idea I had all along was, because I would photograph them in a space of their choice, dressed as they wanted. So, you know, sometimes I turn up and look at them and think, wow, they really didn't make an effort. But that was fine because they were just going to be true to themselves. And that was that. And others were epic performers and they would be Beautiful. dressed up. Yeah. And they'd be standing on top of waterfalls and one lady just took everything off on top of the waterfall. I thought, woo, we're in public. And she's got nothing. <laughs> she did sort of drape herself gently in something. But that was really funny. I loved it. I loved exploring the way they saw themselves in the world, who, you know, really grounded to, you know, really sparkling. And in each one of them, I sat down and asked them to tell their story. And in and in the listening to their story, I found it incredibly moving and healing. And I knew that their story would lift up other people. So that's what the show became. It was this multi-sensory, mm. multimedia event that people were going to go to and hear snippets of the interviews but then if they like somebody and then see their beautiful picture and and then the people that I'd interviewed, some of them were the performers. And then the idea was if they liked somebody, they could then really dive into the website and just listen to that person, find their website. If they've done a book, find their book and build this community of wonderful people who, who are in service to the world. And that's where it started. So it wasn't really supposed to be one night. Mm -hmm. But it ended up being this one night. And the other side, because now I've got these connections with the other side, I kept being told energetically, this show will contain the frequency of heaven on earth. And I thought, what? I don't even know what that means. And basically, it was these sort of 10 tenets they came through of it was something like kindness, community, balance, creativity, love, harmony. It was a way of seeing life, a sort of each person was expressing part of these ideas. And when you put all of these ideas together, it made this pure frequency. And on top of that, it was the performers who really performed on the night. It was the beautiful food. It was the way we decorated the space. Mm -hmm. It was these installations that you sat in where you, where there was these sort of whimsical journeys where we could imagine a new world. And that was a yeah. big part of me and my team's work was let's let people dive into the idea that anything's possible, miracles are possible, harmony's possible, living in balance is possible. 
and let them feel that it really it can happen and it was this unique moment to interact with this frequency but this will now evolve into something called Eden and we want to plant it in the city and then let it travel where people can go to this sort of place of peace and be inspired. So that's it. Oh, beautiful. Well, I appreciate you beginning, Abigail, just everything you just shared about your journey. So much there. And when you talk about your granny being the visionary and then you being such a visionary too, because even before we met today to to know about Energy Unlimited and that vision, but also Chicago Lights. I didn't really know anything about that. And it, I just, you, it's, it's your body of work really has this, this thread and this continuum that also depending on what's happened in your life at, you know, especially in those years of 2017, 18, like those really crucial years for you is that it then informed the work that you're bringing into the world. And yeah, when I went to the exhibit that night in the summertime, it's it was such an immense body of work too. To have it only for one night is like, wow, because even as a person participating, you want to tell your friends about it. You want it to you want it to go on and on so more and more people can enjoy it. But have you seen what have you seen as the ripple effect for the show? Well, what was really interesting, and it, I have to go back a bit, when I first started to envisage the show, I had seen it, when I talked to my set designer and was telling her what it was going to look like, I had spoken about these, I'd literally wrote, written it as a couple. They're walking through a field at night and they come across a oh, big wow. tent. Mm-hmm. And in that, they walk into this tent and it's sort of this, it's like that book, The Night Circus, which I really, I loved. And they walk into this sort of circus type tent set in another time. We can't quite tell which time it is. And they might be from this time, the people, but they walk into this other time and they come across wonders and joy and performers and everything's so magical. And they're in this space that just changes the way they see life. And then they walk out of the space having had this beautiful evening. And then they, they're walking through the dew. And in that space, though, they're hearing, you know, trees are talking to each other. They're, everything's enhanced and stunning. But when they look back and they're walking into the dawn and they got their wet feet walking through the grass, when they look back, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. how I wrote it to my set designer. That was my original vision. And then later on, when it just ended up, it was supposed to be a month in that space, and it ended up being one night, I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. That's what I'd always <laughs> said it was. And then mm-hmm. I thought, wow, the next thing is absolutely not going to be called energy. And when I write it down, it's going to be planted. <laughs> so energy will evolve, become Eden. And and I, I sort of see it as this huge indoor forest and people will weave themselves around the exhibit and they'll sit in a tree where they'll they'll listen to the interviews. I've got all these ideas and it will work. Um, but that will be later on next year. And I want it to be a space people can just keep coming back to and really feeling joy and in- inspiration. And we'll bring in some more focus on the earth and people who work with the earth. But yeah. all the body of work we've got so far will just expand. Beautiful. A thing that kept coming back to me, people came to me, because I was a bit you know, surprised by the amount of work we had to do for one night. It was a bit of one of those, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. But I also had to accept that it was glorious and it was, you know, it, it was what it was. And then people came to me and they said, 
do you know what they said we're so grateful that you did this and you you gave this as a gift they kept saying it was a gift to the city and it really was and the people that went and they said everyone was lit up they said it felt Mm. like a dream and we all felt so much love and joy and we were meeting people and they were just lit up I thought oh my god that was the intention yeah that's beautiful I'm thinking about you that that's what it felt like to me as well and it was such a warm summer night and you went out and and just a, I just love the the art center that it was housed in as a creator and someone who I feel like you generate ideas a lot like you have a lot of information coming to you but in your process of that do you often have to go back and nourish yourself in certain ways to kind of you're you're out there, you're doing all this work and then kind of retreat a little bit to do self-care? Oh, I mean, I have great people that help me. Also, again, because I have I've been dealing with a chronic pain issue. It was really intense to do this project because I'm carrying a camera and I've got neck issues. So although they're under control for the last seven days for the first time in three years, because of all the brilliant people that work with me. But there were times when it was really tough. And then in that last month before the show was on, I was working just round the clock. We had so much to do because we were doing the back end of making sure that all the interviews were perfect. They were broken down into bite-sized pieces that people can go on the website and listen to a minute or two minutes. And it was really taking its toll on my body. So it's been quite a process to feel better because when I dive into a project and it's getting to that point before it's going up, you just have to get it done. There is no stopping it. I'll I'll work till 2 a.m., get up at 7, get back on, get back on, get back on. And all the team were like that. We just got it done. And what's amazing is I, there were moments when we just didn't know if we were going to do it. And then each one member of the team would suddenly just spring up and just do it. And I'd look and think, God, this is amazing. And at one point, I sort of heard the message, step back let them step up and take ownership of this show as well. And that was a really beautiful thing. I love directing, but I really like people who work with me to step into the light and be brilliant. And that's really important to me. And it's important when people come and have healing from me, I want their own light to turn on and them to feel magnificent. Hmm. I really am not interested in mentoring people, although For the time when I'm working with them, I'll be checking in, checking in, keeping them as a sort of coach, keeping them going. But I I give them the tools to help themselves. But my main thing is turn on the light. So, again, when I work with a team, I'll come up with ideas, but then I really enjoy seeing them taking ownership, building it, because there are things that they know that I really don't know. They'll go off and explore. And if I was controlling it too much, they wouldn't be brilliant. Mm-hmm. The self-care is just, it happened after the show. I i was in agony. And so it's just been my usual gang of wonderful people putting me back together again. But I'd like to say that I used it all the way through. Normally it would be things like, I love swimming. I like walking with my dogs, eating good food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I love it when my daughter cooks for me when she comes home. Oh. That makes me happy. Or when my son says something like, Shall I cook for you, mommy? And I think, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things like that can really make me happy. Um, That's self care, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you mentioned before before we got on today, and you've mentioned a couple of times during the interview that these gifts of channeling 
have have surfaced for you. I'm wondering when you were young. It sounds like your grandma may have had some of these gifts. I don't know about anyone else in your family, but were you tapped into that you did at a younger age? No, I knew no. looking back, I was probably always different. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I on the dark side, I had a demon chasing me in my nightmares once a week from the age of five till 16. Mm-hmm. I've had lots of encounters that were unusual. I, I would suddenly hear a voice speak to me and tell me something that was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I think, what? Who's that? Just here. So I'd had these moments or or strange things would happen that completely changed the course of my life. So I mm-hmm. knew something was going on, but it wasn't until my car accident where it, uh, yeah, my granny was definitely could see stuff. And then my car accident, I was really flung into this. But 2020, when I started to actually do the healing, was when I started to navigate the world in a different way. And I started to really explore the idea of us as energy, how we affect each other, how our thoughts affect things. And in the interviews I did, those people really taught me a lot and and the people I saw on my own journey of healing each one gave me a different piece in the puzzle and I sit there just in awe of what I was hearing and yeah it's been fascinating I mean I interviewed one young girl for my show who she used sound frequency training training she's in India and we did a zoom interview she's on the website and uh, she can read a book blindfolded that she's never read before having opened her subconscious mind so that is, and we've got it all right. on YouTube. It is uh, amazing. So things like that, I just sit there and think, whoa. So um, no, it's it's mind blowing. And I'm wondering for you, then did you did you enter into a state of not only curiosity and willingness, but then allowance? Because you're now practicing different modalities. Seems like sort of you know not a great way to describe it, but yeah. you're working with energy. You're working with what people energetically are telling you can you say more about that like how that's emerged for you I can so I did that frequency training as well just because I really wanted to explore it because that's the way I see life is you know something comes near me I want to know everything about it because I become quite obsessive which is why my shows I think end up being they're very good quality shows because I'm obsessed with it being meticulous it's got to be Really, if we're going to do it, do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my lovely friend who I got doing sound editing. She'd say to me, Abigail, I'm so tired. I can't can't do this one. And I say, you've got no choice. You have to. I go, oh. And then she'd do it and she'd send it to me. I said, you've done a brilliant job. And she felt such a sense of achievement at the end. So I really will push people to be amazing, but in the nicest possible way. But yeah. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And I I do the same in the way I treat life and the way I treat healing. So as soon as I knew that this girl could read a book blindfolded, I thought, God, I'm going to do that. Didn't work out like that for me because I'm much older and I'm the first older person he's worked with. And, oh, God, because it's got to go through all your own memories and your history and blah, blah. So that was pretty intense. But in my change, it suddenly flung open doors that were probably slightly open but doing the brain training just flung them open. And suddenly I was in healing session and I could suddenly see people's ancestors or I could, their past life would fling open. I find myself standing in a forest in, you know, Louisiana thinking, what? Why did I end up here? So or I can travel in people's dreams, which is wild. You know, so things were happening yes. that I didn't expect, but it's 
but because I've got a really inquisitive mind, I found it fascinating. So, but when a ghost turned up in my bedroom, that's when I really was a bit nervous and I had to call on. I mean, she was just standing next to my bed, which scared me immensely, Mm -hmm. especially when I told her to go and she didn't. It was the middle of the night. My husband was away in Europe and I started screaming at her. And then in the end, I thought, and she looked like my daughter, which was even weirder. And she had a scarf and long hair and and I'd have a, I was having a huge nightmare. And then suddenly I sensed something. I had my two little dogs in the room. And so something called me out of the nightmare. I turned on the light and there was this young woman just standing next to me. Mm. And so I started to shout and scream. And eventually I'm sort of shouting, do you not have any ears, ghost? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you? Can't you hear me? I'm saying, put your ghost ears on and leave my bedroom. And she just kept staying there. I thought, what? This is insane. Get out. <laughs> eventually she went and later on I I had to enlist the help of a medium who said actually she was there to protect me Um, and I hadn't realized but she had come I was in a really terrible state in a horrible nightmare that was as if I was awake with somebody trying to kill me and she came and got me out of the dream but yeah so that training Mm -hmm. flung open doors but then I had to work with some mentors and guides as if I'm going to know if I'm suddenly connecting with the dead I need to make sure that they're not coming into my bedroom at night yeah, right. in my Reiki room and they come in and they talk to my team and then they leave. I don't have, you know, I don't want to wake up in the night with, you know, uh, loads of dead people, you know, asking for a chat, right. um, <laughs> which is a bit way. But I'll tell you one story. And my friend doesn't mind me showing this. I think it's really funny. I was working on a wonderful friend of mine here who's just gorgeous soul and very intellectual, very elegant, very tall. She's lying on my bed. So she's a tall person and she's very, very charming. And But she had her brother, mother and grandmother had died within two years of each other. Every two years, one died from cancer. Mm. And it was really intense. So she went on this, and she's very mathematical, but she went on this incredible spiritual journey. I interview her for the show. She's called Ivana. She's incredible. And she had to learn to heal herself because it was so traumatic what she was going through. And she went on this amazing spiritual journey. She really is one of my guides and mentors. The way she sees life is really beautiful. And she inspired me a lot. And I, and she said to me one day, can I come and have some healing? And I thought, well, she's very balanced. So I knew it wouldn't be a big job, but she just wanted to have that lovely experience. So she came and it was very easy. And, and then I said to her, you know, cause I know I can call in the dead, but it's very, I'm not big medium. I'm just medium light because that's as far as I want to go. So I said to her, oh, imagine your brother and your mother and grandmother, and we can call them in. I thought they can have a nice chat. Sometimes I'll just hear a word, or I'll just see them as if I'm looking through a dream. They're just sort of there. Anyway, she's imagining them. And suddenly the whole side of my Reiki room went black and smoky. And I thought, what is going on? Because I sort of got my eyes half closed. So I, I see between worlds. That's how it works. And it's like looking through a film, awake. Yeah. Not a film, a sort of dreamy film. And the, that, the whole wall is gone and it's all smoky. And the next thing I know, I thought, oh, my God, she's taken us to the graveyard mm-hmm. of her mother, brother and grandmother. And she's woken up all the dead. And they know I can see them. And I said, Ivana, where are you? And she said, I'm at the grave. I said, get out, because you've woken up hundreds of dead people. That's Hello. incredible. Ooh, we're coming <laughs> for a visit. Come on, everybody. Somebody's come to visit. I said, just out, get out. Yes. And she thought it was so funny. And then the wall went back. I thought, oh, my 
God. Yes. Um, so you're you're learning as you go. <laughs> you learn on the job. I mean, I had, you know, literally, I don't know how many hundreds of them think, oh, come on, everybody. Someone's here. Finally, hundreds of years. We've been learning. Oh. So, yeah, I'm absolutely learning job. Everyone's unique. I never know what's going to happen. And one session, somebody's um, grandma turned up and she was really tiny. And I said to him, do you have a granny who loves cooking? And she's really small. And he said, yeah, my grandmother, Italian granny, she taught me to cook. And she said to him, she wanted me to tell him that she expressed her love through food. Mm. And, and I said, oh, is there a special meal she'd make? He said, oh, yeah, every Sunday she made this special meatballs, Italian family. I said, oh, she wants you to pass that tradition to your son. Yeah. Rest your love like that. So things like that are amazing. That absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it must be. I, I don't know. I'm thinking about like, even after your car accident, like what changed for you in life? What oh, did, the car accident. did things that you thought to be true to before that just were turned upside down on their head or everything? Yeah, uh, everything. It was almost like my whole life exploded. I walked through a door into a new world. That's how it looks. And things that I was fearful of. I mean, they just got exploded, you know? I mean, it's it's not immediate, but it, you can't not change. You know, yeah. you imagine that you were, but also I got held by this being that spoke to me. So it was almost like I'd been asking questions about the divine for years and years. Is it real? Is it this? I can never stop asking questions. Mm -hmm. The problem is I ask so many and I'm so relentless that when mm -hmm. they want to answer, they answer quite violently. So you know, <laughs> that accident was a way of me receiving about three yes. million answers all at once. And I wow. did Maybe I should just be a bit quieter about my questions, but that's not my personality. So right. I'd like it to be, but it isn't. Yes. Um, so I've had other, I've had a, quite a few other wild situations since then, but um, you just sort of adapt. But it, it's really good when I work with people who are very cynical, then I show them the picture of the car and say what mm -hmm. happened. And when they look at that and look at me, and I'm very logical in the way I speak, mm -hmm. and I think I'm a good bridge into the spiritual yeah. world because I use humor and logic and try and make it as grounded as possible. And my husband finds all this stuff really weird <laughs> and embarrassing. So he likes me to be really grounded. If we go for dinner, before we go, he has a script. And he says, now, I don't want you to say this, and I don't want you to say that, and I don't want you to talk about ghosts, and I don't want you to do that. And it really makes me laugh because the minute <laughs> I sit down, you know, whatever friend we, we've gone yes, with his yes. work colleagues or something, they'll lean towards me and they'll say to me, so tell me about the ghosts. Exactly. <laughs> yes. They want to hear it. Over the yeah. table, he's kicking me under the table. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up. It's really funny. So he keeps me really grounded and I really am grateful for that. Yeah. Really important to, you know, still be here because there are yeah. times when I was just flying with the fairies mm -hmm. and it's and then my children found that really upsetting it was almost yeah. said, you know mommy you're you're ours you have to be present okay I was wondering I was going to ask about them and how yeah they found it annoying yeah. mm -hmm. but now I've grounded it and made it more logical and also so I think it was the interviews I did with people like Pam Grout and Therese Rowley and and um, Jen Weigel these are brilliant women who've know how to talk about these ideas around energy sure. and make them very logical so how you know the things that you think become things that, but it's also how you can manifest things um I think it's good 
to sort of weave it together so I'm not just stuck in that other realm because then I'm boring and mm-hmm. people aren't connecting with me and I'm not enjoying being yeah, I hear you. It mm-hmm. took me a while though to get my bearings with this it's almost like I was given a car and I found out it was a car that could drive in the sky but I didn't know how to to do it it was just yeah. doing it and then and now I know how to bring it back down and and so when I'm in session I can I hear things see things mm-hmm. and I can really help people but they they give me really good analogies metaphors visions that people can connect with you know if I say to a client they've just told me that you put your family life on on uh, Mount Vesuvius that mm-hmm. makes sense and they mm-hmm. and so I'll work with that client to move their life to Switzerland because mm-hmm. it's much calmer in Switzerland mm-hmm. or you know I said to my friend working on a friend the other day you know you've been sitting on a volcano it's now exploded everything's yeah. done yeah. there's nothing to worry about anymore mm-hmm. you've, you've sat on a volcano for 10 years and it's gone mm-hmm. so you know think I'm really good at good visuals I mean people just get it but yeah. I always say to people if you don't understand this just ask questions if it doesn't resonate ask questions and that's the coaching thing you know it's got to be autonomous. They've got to feel empowered. And again, mm-hmm. I don't want people hanging off me, needing me, because I've already got two kids, a husband, right. jobs. That's yeah. enough. I think that's a beautiful model, though, because then, like you're saying, when you empower the people who help you on the shows, it's the same kind of idea. Like, you've got this. I'm here to deliver messages to you and support you. But I'm thinking about, you know, I'm just thinking about how many people who listen to Mystical Sisterhood are so interested and curious about the curious about these messages. And I don't know if you're seeing an awakening that you feel is happening or just like a more of a an oh, opening yeah. energetically or heart wise, but I feel like it's happening. And let me know, like, wow, well, how are you feeling about that? Oh God, it's accelerated. It's wild. It's so mm. loud for me. And I I what I'm noticing is I'm able to have conversations with people now that a year ago they would have just yeah. blocked me. Love that. They wouldn't have listened. There were things that have happened to me that were all so strong and so powerful. And then when I'd say it to people, they ran from me as if I was some sort of lunatic or I was lying. And I thought I can't make this stuff up. Mm. And I found it offensive and annoying because I just thought you know, I'm sharing something of great value and you, you know, basically spat on my story. So it really aggravated me that, that I had access to these amazing things, but nobody gave a shit. Oh, oh, this is so weird. But again, the great thing about doing the show was I got to meet amazing people who've had these transcendent stories for years and they just gave me the faith to keep going. Yeah. They gave me courage Mm. in my own story. And, you know, they really helped me. A lovely woman called Julie, who's an MD, who I interviewed for the show, MD Stroke Healer, who just came to her a few years ago. And she's helped me really step into this and not be afraid to just be it. But I have noticed that people are now allowing me to speak and say things. And and I noticed it's really exciting when they notice something already at themselves. I say, had this feeling I did wonder and as within my stories somehow there's always a story I can tell them that resonates mm-hmm. and then I really give them space to find their way because that's something I was taught energetically was yeah. honorable compassion but not empathy so when I work with someone now I honor their story I'm compassionate 
but I don't step into their shoes because sometimes you're just getting in their way. So mm-hmm. if I sit back and I really let them say wherever they are and just say it without trying to intervene or interfere or or judge, it's no, just honour, honour. Mm-hmm. And I think that also helps people in their own awakening. But yeah, the shifts yeah. are, they're really big. And I'm just having to adapt. I mean, I dream and flowers come to talk to me in the dream. Seed mm-hmm. talked to me the other day, which was wild. And I just have to remain logical at the same time. Thank God for my humor, which came from my family. Yeah. Because they knew how to laugh. In a time of crisis, they were really good at laughing. And I lo- learned that a lot from the female side. Yeah. Thank God. And Beautiful. my father. Yeah. yeah. But without that, I think this would have been pretty challenging. What are your favorite ways? Because I remember too, when I was, you know, we were going to record like a month ago or whatever that was. And I remember looking at your website and your writings and seeing that beautiful picture you had of your father, I believe. And he was very bespoke and just, it was, it may have even been black and white. I'm not sure, but it felt like it was, even if it wasn't that gift of writing that I think you had in those sort of blog posts that you have on the website that anyone can check out. But what are your favorite ways to kind of process and and just do you still do writing do you still express yourself that way actually what's interesting is I'm going to um I am writing a book finally Mm -hmm. because basically energetically I was told I would I mean I had no intention to write something I think I've thought about writing a book for about 30 years but I had nothing to write um (laughs) which really made me laugh I think I even tried to write a book at 16 no 14 16 14 14 with a friend from school we're boarding school and it was so rubbish and we fought constantly even in the first chapter we couldn't even write a chapter because we just argued it's my page it's my page it's my sentence really funny and I remember we were trying to write about naughty things having never experienced intimacy ourselves but that was that was way back when I first tried to write at 14. Ridiculous. And then energetically, I was told I'd write a book. And what I'm going to write is fiction, because most of what I say sounds like fiction. So anytime mm. now that something extraordinary happens in the healing world yeah. or in the things that I get to see, I just make a note of it because yeah. it, it's brilliant, mm-hmm. you know. There's all sorts of things that happen, dealing with mm-hmm. demons, going to the realm of hell, you know, seeing the gates of heaven, whatever it is. I say, oh, there's another sentence. Yeah. Um, and I've started to sort of plot that out, plan it, talk with friends about it. Cause I'm very visual, so I've got pictures and a Pinterest board and mm-hmm. I can just see it. Yeah. These of my friends. That's been a huge release for me. I don't have this sense of urgency now to try and tell everybody stuff. Mm-hmm. I just think, put it in the book, put it in Love the book. It. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and the book will explore ideas of heaven, hell, this corruption, here, the hero journey. And I'll have characters who are teachers because, you know, energy healers. But And it's set in another time. And it's just, it's the way to explore all of these ideas in a way that's really fun and, and a big adventure. Yet there's a constant message all the way through, but not done in the way that's annoying. That's really giving me a lot of peace and it's making this much more enjoyable to have some of the things that have happened to me. If I'm, you know, working on someone and I'm suddenly in a really scary space energetically later on, I'll think, well, it goes in the book. It's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, so it, it makes it easier. Yeah. I'm thinking too, Abigail, you know, when I hear 
so many people speak about whatever their sort of passion is around like Therese Rowley or yourself or just any number of healers and intuitives that I've had on the show. I always think about, ooh, wow, it just feels like they're channeling so much of the information. And even when we're talking and I last week there was a numero or this week there was a numerologist and she talked about how um we were talking about the the elementals and how fairies and gnomes and dragons and all these things are real. And she was talking about how they've retreated into the the Netherlands, uh, you know, in the core of the earth. And I don't know anything about that, but I think about the movies that have been created around those themes and think, and I, I'm just so blown away by like, wow, is this all channeling? But like what I'm, I was going to ask you too, like, how do you see us, us in human form? Like we're here. And so internally our purpose and our uniqueness is coming from within, but do you see it as a marrying of, what we receive from our guides and spirits and then what comes from within us. Yeah, I do if people are turning on their light because so many people will use alcohol, drugs, they're in trauma, pain, the news. They use things to keep their light off. So when we've got all these messages coming in, they can't hear them because they're turning them off. And I understand that entirely. So when I work with people, sometimes they show me them in vision as literally I'm taking them from the dark to the light. It's quite simple. It's just they're yeah. lost in the dark. And it could even be they're literally lost in a basement underground and then steps appear. It could mm-hmm. take hours of me doing distant work sometimes. And they walk to the light. I think, oh, God, it's so weirdly simple. But the minute they're in the light, they can start to hear. They can start yeah. to perceive. But, I mean, I don't, you know, we all want to indulge a little now and again, but when people are eating really toxic food, they're not looking after themselves, they're constantly addicted to the news and trauma and they're in a lot of fear, they can't hear. Mm-hmm. And right. and and I've also, you know, especially when they're, you know, taking a lot of drugs and things, but the minute they start clearing that away, I mean, I, I have an occasional drink. It's really fun. I want to have fun. I want to live. I, I'm no angel at all. It's boring for me. But some people want to be all pure and shiny. I can still do this without. But for the most part, I, I eat great food. It's I bless the food. It's really clean. I, I've, I never buy ready-made food. It's not what I do. But I look after myself like that. But the more yeah. I've done this work, the mm-hmm. more you hear. And, it's, and what I teach people a lot is, once they learn to listen to a tiny bit, then they learn to listen to the next bit and the next bit. So I teach people how they may be listening to a song and suddenly a certain lyric will just sound really loud. And it's almost like they just shouted it at you. I said, that's the sign. Or they're thinking about something and suddenly, and they're questioning and suddenly a stop sign seems to be really big. And the stop sign is saying, no, don't do it. Yeah. And, or you know, maybe they're watching TV and there's something that feels really profound in what they're watching or the person will call just at the right time or a dream, something to seem so loud. Those are the times when they're trying to talk to us. And I get people to start just being aware yeah. that there are always yeah. answers coming in. And, mm. and I get them. And the other thing that Pat Longo, who's in the show, taught me is, and, and also I was beginning to learn it myself anyway, but she helped me really understand it is, the other side navigate with us through the library of information we have in our heads, which I really like. So when mm. I'm in a session, 
I can feel them rifling through looking for a film or a book or something that I can then yeah. say, oh, they're telling me that you're like Wonder Woman on this island of women and that's where you get your power from. And they just show me Wonder Woman, island, women. Yeah. It's really clear. So what she taught me was if you want to deal with the other side and have more clear messages from that world, to sort of create 20 things, 20 ideas to stop Stop and no would be a stop sign, a red sign, okay. a red stop mm-hmm. sign. Red, red is a good stop. Green sign is go and yes. And then you'd have, you could have a person who represents drug or alcohol addiction. Mm. So if you're talking to somebody and that person keeps flicking into your mind and you're trying to help that person, that would give you an indication that either that person you're working with or somebody in their immediate group has some sort of addiction. So you could have an island representing, oh, you're going to go on holiday. You know, you have, you can have a a little library of pictures and they become the, they're your quick guide from the other side of, you ask a question, sit quietly with the question and they'll rifle through and quickly give you one of those images. So beautiful. That's so cool. (laughs) Wow. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm blown away and I'm so Uh, this conversation was really enlightening for me. I can feel your energy. So I can only imagine what that's like to be in person for your clients. Um, If the listener is interesting in looking more into your work and what is out there that they can kind of dive in a little deeper, where would they find you? At the energy website. So it's energy dash unlimited, but U N L T D.com energy dash unltd.com and all the interviews all the stories that we did and covered are on there and they're divided into sections and i'd recommend it they're the, the miraculous thinking section or health and healing they're they're really lovely okay. they changed me yeah okay well that's a great resource and are you taking clients or yes okay um, from January, i'm taking clients in person and distant the website will be all updated saying you know my fees and everything but i also do a sliding scale so if people don't have much money it's okay we can work it out because i enjoy seeing people step into their light and then shining it on other people because the more they do it the nicer the world is that I'm leaving my kids and my grandkids yeah. who I hope I eventually have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the main thing is let's, let's make this world a happier place. Yeah. yeah. Do anything well, we can. And you are, and it's becoming brighter and brighter, even though that's not always what we see, but it is happening. Thanks for being here, Abigail. I think our listeners are just going to just love this interview. And is there anything you want to say in parting? I want to say thank you to you for reaching out to me for coming to the show for being patient with my timing which is slightly weird and for doing what you're doing because stories change people they do they really they do. do so yeah. and you're very gracious and kind and i'm grateful to you for doing it and mm. thank you for letting me talk because i really can talk a lot thank you yeah you might have to come back at some point for part two <laughs> get your ears you know your ears need a little bit of rest and relaxation yeah, we'll give rest uh thanks for the listener for being here as always and yeah if you love the episode share it with a friend whom you think might benefit we'll see you next time thanks abigail thank you 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit maureenspielman.com or mysticalsisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.